I'm Greg Shipley. Glad you're here this morning. I have no idea what time I'm starting out, but I'll try to move things on. This is the final series in our series on the book of Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 4 on keystone theology, actually cornerstone theology of what we believe in our Christian faith. And keystones, if you ask a Pennsylvanian, the keystone state, keystones are what holds up the arches. So it actually both fits. Keystone and cornerstone theology. And this will be our final sermon on Colossians 4. In the next slide, if you see, um, I've entitled this sermon, just to give it a title, Go Heavy on the Salt. We're not going to hit that uh, for some time yet, so just be patient. I'll get there. I will get there. But first, a few pictures. Everyone likes a little photo or story. So the next slide. And by the way, I am peripatetic. That means I walk around a lot, so don't be surprised if I come down there and hit you with a hymnal. Oh, that's right, we don't have any hymnals. So um, this, this uh, group of men is the Terra Nova Expedition, also known as the British Antarctic Expedition, uh, between 1910 and 1913. So they did a lot of different things when they were down there, but the big thing everyone was interested in was the race to the pole. In 1910, no one had ever set foot at the South Pole. And somebody wanted to be first, because after all, who remembers number two? So this British expedition under, under Captain Scott was uh, competing against uh, Norwegian, a group from Norway, under the uh, direction of Roald Amundsen. So there's this crew. The second slide here is they finally made it to the Pole. Now don't move on from there, because I'll be here in a minute. They finally made it to the South Pole. Um, Scott, he's the second from the left. Uh, Wilson, I think that is on the far left. There's Bowers and Oates. A couple of things about this photo, okay? It's taken at the South Pole. You can almost see a little despair in their faces because they had arrived there in early January of 2012 only to discover that the Norwegian, Amundsen, had beat him there and planted Norwegian flags everywhere. So they were second. So that was one reason for kind of sadness and despair. But there's also another reason. All five of these men are dead. They're dead, obviously, because it's 100 years ago. But they're dead for another reason. None of them made it back alive. How do we know what happened? Well, they left uh, journals, diaries, notebooks, and they left cameras with film uh, undeveloped. And so we have a total record of what happened till the death of the last individual. But, you know, scientists calculate that, looking at, look at the faces, look at them now. They're actually dead at that point. Make a long story short, there was a tremendous miscalculation of the amount of rations that they needed. And they were slowly starving to death. And even at this point, they were dead men under the technology of 1910. There would be no way to save them from their imminent doom. They were dead because they didn't have enough fuel, enough food, enough fuel for fire, enough of fuel at all. The so next slide, please. That's why the title of our, this section of Colossians is the good news. The good news is our mission. That's what we're about. But prayer is our fuel. The good news is the truck that we drive. And prayer is that fuel that will give us the power to do this mission. Before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for this morning. I ask that you would give me 
your Holy Spirit's direction and guidance in the things we've studied, and help me to open your word to uh, folks that, uh, your children, uh, myself included, that need the message you have for us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, first things first. Um, we're going to finish up Colossians. Next slide. Um, and I'm going to briefly comment on the close of this letter, the last verses. Don't worry about it. If you have a Bible, turn to this. If you don't have a Bible, please get your Bible out at home and, and look through some of the comments I'm about to make. Uh, next, next slide there. Um, to state the obvious, the New Testament is mostly letters, all right? Letters. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the four Gospels, the narrative accounts of the life of Jesus, his, his life and ministry, his birth, death, resurrection. Um, Acts is a continuation of one of those stories written by Luke, who talks about the Gospel in the early church, kind of like the first third story of Peter and the last two-thirds of it, the story of Paul and everything that went on. The book of Revelation at the final part, the last book of the, of the Bible, that's in a category by itself. The rest of the New Testament is letters, short ones, long ones, big ones, um, some written to churches, uh, some written to people like Timothy and Titus, and some written to churches like the uh, church at Colossians. So anyway, Paul's going to finish up this letter. You can go to the next slide if you want. With just a, a few things in the letter, just, uh, just a couple of comments. So please read this on your own. He mentions a guy named Tychius. Who he's, Tychius is his gopher. Tychius ran different places and did errands for him. You'll see him later. Uh, Paul wanted to send him to Crete and, and that sort of stuff. So he's going he's gonna to bring the uh, Colossian church. Paul's in Rome. He's going to take this all the way over to Colossia, which is in what's called Turkey now. And he's going to bring some letters. He's going to bring Colossians. He's going to bring Ephesians. And he's going to bring something else, not just a letter to Philemon, but a person. He's going to bring back Onesimus. He says, I'm sending an estimate back to you, and if you're familiar with the story, you have to read this letter. It's a very short letter, uh, the shortest in the New Testament. Um, Onesimus was a slave who had run away and escaped and ended up in Rome and ended up with Paul. Guess what? Paul's never, uh, you know, slow on his mission. He led Onesimus to Jesus, his personal Savior, and he's sending Onesimus back to his owner, his master. Philemon, not as a slave, but as a brother in Jesus. And Onesimus is now useful. That's what his name means. He's now useful to the purpose of God. All right? There's another comment in there, too, that I didn't mark down. And he mentions one of his companions, and that's good old Dr. Luke. And that's in verse something somewhere in here. Uh, he had his own doctor with him, Paul did, the writer of the Gospel of Luke and Acts. He needed it because he kept getting the snot beat out of him everywhere he went and scourged and beaten and all those things. So he had that. And he mentions Barnabas' cousin Mark, or John Mark, in verse 10. If you remember, uh, Paul had worked with him, and they had a big bust up because Mark had kind of, uh, you know, like forsaken them and kind of like deserted and went back. And, and so Paul ended up taking... Silas along, and Barnabas went with Mark. But he noticed, noticed that John Mark is still active in the ministry after what he had done. And uh, you'll see that even more in 2 Timothy, Paul's final letter. Then, what else have I mentioned? Oh, when this letter's read, Colossians, uh, send it to the church of the Laodiceans. And you, when you, you know, 
have the lay of the can send their letter to me. That letter's probably the, the letter to the Ephesians. And that's just a little description of how things worked in the early church. Everybody didn't have Bibles all printed out or on their Palm Pilots or on their iPads or whatever. They had letters and they were sent around and shared and that was put together to make the New Testament. And that's what we read as our Bible, okay? And then lastly, he signs it. Remember I said that Paul had lots of helpers. Lots of people wrote down letters for him because uh, the theory is maybe through one of his injuries, he had terrible eye problems. And so he, uh, he would sign his letter to make sure people knew it was from him. Now that says, sealed with a lick because a kiss won't stick. You guys that, um, you guys that haven't written letters, you, young, younger generation, you never, you never had to write a letter to your girlfriend and, you know, so anyway, that's what that's there for. So, so he signs this letter. Now we've closed out the letter. Let's go back to the main part of our teaching. N uh, next slide, if you would please. I'm going to read this here scripture. Okay? Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving, praying at the same time also for us that God should open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I also have been imprisoned that I may make it clear as to how I ought to speak. Well, the first part of this, let's go back to, to the next slide, if you would. Um, devote yourselves to prayer. Now, we'll talk about, about prayers in a minute, but let's see what Paul says to do with it. He says, devote yourselves. The word, as you can tell, I'm really into words, because after all, it is the word of God, and Jesus is the word. And I figure the most important thing you can do is learn what the words have to say to the people who are reading this or hearing it, and then that helps us understand what we need to hear, okay? He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Be attached to it. Be, like, dedicated to it. The words used for an attendant or even a slave that is attached to a master, uh, I can relate it to maybe, you ever been in one of those restaurants where the waiter's always there at your shoulder? I guess hoping for a good tip, I don't know, but they're just always there. Anything that you want, almost like a puppy dog. You ever have a, your little puppy dog that's devoted to you and watches everything that you do? Uh, Mark uses it in Mark chapter 3, verse 9. He says that Jesus had instructed that a boat be ready at all times for him because of the crowd in order that he wouldn't be crushed when he was speaking the Sea of Galilee. So devote yourselves to prayer. Be vigilant in it. The next part of that verse, be, that's my name, by the way, Gregory. Be vigilant, be watchful in it, always in, with thanksgiving. We'll get to that in a minute. But first we have to ask, well, what is prayer? Well, prayer is basically talking to God. You can leave that there. Um, in the days of uh, King James, and Shakespeare, I mean, together, people would say things like, I pray thee, good, good wife, I pray thee, good wife, whence cometh the delivery man from the hut of pizza? You know, and, and, and they would, that's the way, and so prayer meant to talk, to ask. So prayer is simply talking with God. Now, this little uh, chestnut here, this is an old one from we old people, um, this axe, you see the uh, acrostic down, is sometimes a good way to remember what we're supposed to do with prayer. We're supposed to adore God. We're supposed to love God for who he is and, and, and just not only what he's done, but his character. The kind of an adoration that, you know, you'd like teenage guys and college guys when you're writing your girlfriend and, you know, you want her to get her to like you better. You know, you just adore her. Oh, I think you're wonderful. That's the way you are. Uh, see, we confess. Confession. We confess to him. I 
meant to put a two in there. We confess. It says in Scripture, in John's first letter, that if we say we haven't sinned, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. But if, we're, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we do that. And then we teeth, thanksgiving. We give thanks to God. And that's something that we neglect. Remember the verse says, with thanksgiving. Often we'll ask for requests. Uh, we'll, oh, we, you know, we'll get to that in a minute because this is what we kind of do last. But we'll ask for requests. But we, we fail to give God thanks for what he has accomplished. When he gives an answer, we don't thank him. I'm pointing at myself, too. And then lastly, this S, supplication. That's not a word you use a lot, but it makes acts fit, you know. So um, supplication is like a petition or to ask for something. Ask God for the things you need and you, and you want. Now, most of us, candidly, start there and finish there. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Give me, give me that promotion at work I've been looking for. Oh, oh, Lord, oh, uh, give me that uh, place at school. I'm trying to get into a school. Oh, oh. Oh, oh, Lord, Lord, uh, give me, oh, give me that 60-inch flat-screen TV, uh, 4K with, uh, if possible, a really high refresh rate. You know, oh, Lord. And then that's where we start. Now, let me say this. That's the stick and the carrot. I'll start with the stick. Boom, boom, boom. That's, many of us start there and end there, and that's it. God's just sort of like a vending machine. However, the carrot part is, God, the Lord Jesus wants us to do this. He makes it clear in a real familiar passage in the, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 that he says, look, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. You don't have because you don't ask. You, do, you don't uh, receive because you haven't sought that. Okay? And he further says this. Look, he says, you fathers, your, your child asks you for a loaf of bread. Will you give him a stone? He asks you for a fish. You do give him a snake. And he says, look, if you, as, if you human fathers, earthly fathers, being evil, I love how he gets that in there. You earthly fathers being evil. I always knew, you know, I always knew that. Of course, my kids knew that too. Uh, you, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your uh, children, how much more the heavenly father? Your father in heaven will know how to give good things to those that ask him. But this is what prayer is all about. Now, how do, you, how do you stick with prayer and do prayer? Well, do a whole sermon series on that. Let me just do quick suggestions of a successful pitcher, I guess, you know, in baseball. He has, like, different pitches. He's got a fastball and a slider and a curve, changeup and all that sort of thing. And sometimes with prayer, that's the way it's got to be. If you can get up at uh, 5 a.m. and pray for an hour, great. And maybe sometimes you can do that. Or you can send up little bursts of prayer all the times, like bubbles, you know, during the day. Or you can make a list, especially if you make a list and then you put a column here for thanksgiving. Will you thank the Lord for those answers he gave you? Wow. All kinds of different things. But my main point is this. The next point, I think I've repeated it here. Next slide there. Is um, there's only a few basic duties of believers. When you get right, right down to it, I mean, we talk, oh, there's so much to do as a Christian. Eh, not really. Not really. Again, you know, fastball, curve, slider. You know, how many more pitches can you come up with? And so one of the basic duties is prayer. 
That's our fuel. That's what keeps us energized and may I even say alive at times. And I can tell you as a, my wife and I, as missionaries serving overseas, there were times I knew that prayer was holding us up. And that was the only reason we were still standing erect. And that's the truth, both mentally, spiritually, physically, uh, and you know, in just in social circumstances. So move on from there, please. Uh, next slide. Now we get to the mission. Why pray? Because the rest of it, the mission here. Praying at the same time for us that God should open a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. A mystery is simply something that is not known until the ending is revealed, like, like all the mystery shows you watch, you know, uh, and, you know, uh, Hercule Poirot and all those. And that is the, re the revealing of Jesus as Savior, his work on the cross for our sake. And Paul's asking to keep praying for this, that I can speak wherever I am, the mystery of Christ for which I've also been in prison, that I may make it clear as to how I ought to speak. And the next slide, please. This is our mission. The good news is our mission, as it was Paul's mission. Because when you think about it, just think about it, all righty? I'm speaking to folks that have trusted in Jesus as their personal Savior. You've received him as your savior. You're a child of God. You've been born into his family. We're all brothers and sisters. A home in heaven. Alrighty. Why are we still here? Well, you give this pat answers. Well, we're here on earth to glorify God. You know, whatever that means. Uh, okay, we're here to glorify God. Men's chief end is, you know, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Westminster Confession. To glorify God. Okay. Well, couldn't we do that a lot better if, you know, when we trust in Jesus and he just jerked us right up into heaven, into his presence, and we're with him? We glorify him right there. Uh, okay, okay. We're here on earth because we're here to know his word to, 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 and to grow in his word, uh, to get to know the, the word of God, the Bible, so we can know God of the Bible. Again, fair enough. Wouldn't it be just easier if he put us up in heaven and we're right there with him? We can ask him whatever we wanted. I mean, we've got all eternity. You know, it's time for lunch. Okay, well, we'll, be back. we'll get back to that. You know, we could, we could be there and learn all the intimate glories and mysteries of Jesus. Well, okay, what about, what about uh, prayer? Uh, well, it's kind of a ditto thing because he's standing right there when we're with him so we can talk to him. Uh, okay, what about fellowship with other Christians? Fellowship in our churches here is so vitally important, right? Well, if we trust in Jesus and he takes us immediately to be with him, we're all up there, and I can, I can fellowship with all you guys as well as my mother and my father and my late wife and my son, and I can, you know, so, okay, why are we here? That's because the good news, the gospel is our mission, just like it was the Apostle Paul. Stuck in prison, free on the streets, working in a school, wherever. That is our mission. Next slide, if you would, please. This is one of my sub-points. The preaching of the good news is the biggest reason that we believers are left here on earth. That's the biggest reason. There's no way of getting around that. 
And there's no way of saying, well, it all belongs to the preachers and the professionals and the guys that have been to seminary, the hired gunslingers. We've got a job to do, Chester, you know, that kind of stuff. It's for all of us. That's why we're left here, to bring the good news. That's what gospel, the word gospel means. The good news that Jesus loves you, that you were apart from God, separated from him, and that Jesus has died on the cross to provide that payment for the things you've done wrong, what the Bible calls sin, that if you trust in him as personal savior, you will be born into his family and be a child of God and have a home in eternity with the Lord forever and an abundant life on earth here doing just this, telling other people. Because back to my first scenario, that's the only thing that won't be up there in heaven is people that don't know Jesus. The word of God will be there. The fellowship of Christians will be there. The glory of God and all those things will be there. But other people who do not know Christ will not be there. That's why we're left here on earth. Okay? So, next slide, please. So, the good news is our mission, and prayer will be that fuel that drives us. And the last couple of verses we're going to be at. Uh, verse 5. Walk with wisdom to those who are outside, redeeming the time. I've gone back to the old use of the word because I think that's, I think that's appropriate. Because a, a lot of verses, a lot of Bibles will say, live your lives or conduct your lives. I say walk, because that's what the word is, walk. You walk, you walk down the corridor of your school, you walk into Walmart and you change this aisle over that aisle. You walk here, you walk there. That's how we direct our lives. That's how we spend our lives and how we actually walk and where we walk. And we walk with wisdom to those who are outside, to unbelievers, to those that don't know Jesus as Savior. Redeeming the time. Well, here's the thing. Most versions will say, uh, make the most of your opportunities and all that sort of stuff. Well, that's true, but next, next slide if you want. What does, what does that mean, redeeming the time? How does a person redeem the time? That word, the verbs there, is the exact verb that's used to show, uh, this, uh, to uh, talk about when Jesus has died on the cross to redeem us. Again, it's not a word that we often use. Uh, we don't even have, for you old people like me, S&H green stamps or top value stamps or those sort of things where we would take to the redemption center and get ourselves a free toaster for after we'd saved stamps for about 10 years. Uh, we don't have a redeem. We have pawn shops, that's a good analogy, I guess. You take your old trombone because you're short of cash and you pawn it. And he keeps it for a month, he's not allowed to sell it. And he gives you money. And then if you get money, you can go back and you buy it back. You redeem it from that person for small profit on his end, you get your trombone back. Well, that's what Jesus did. He has paid the ransom. He has redeemed us from our sin, from the grasp of the devil, so that we might be saved, forgiven of our sins, and live with him. How do we redeem the time, though? Well, I kind of look at it like this. The whole world lies in the hands of the evil one. And for you guys that like to just sort of, you know, clear your cash on your computer, not cash in your wallet, but your cash, and you just like to clear it all out, Look at all your Facebook stuff. And look at all this. That's basically what it is. It all lies in the hands of the evil one, whether it's Republican or Democrat, or whether I watch the political situation in Bulgaria because that's where we used to live, and whether it's those two parties fighting it out or wherever it is, the whole, lot, whole world lies in the hands of the evil one. And he kind of 
owns this. Each day that I get up is, is, is time that I need to buy back. I need to buy back off of him, out of him. And how do I do that? I do that by sharing my faith, the teachings of the gospel, the good news with others. I do that by encouraging other Christians to do the same, encouraging Christians when they're down or depressed, or, uh, or when necessary, confronting them and saying, you know, you're thinking of cheating on your wife. Well, I'm here to slap you silly with God's word, maybe physically too, but you know. I'm here to rebuke, confront. I'm here to encourage, to admonish, and I'm here to pray. That's how I redeem that time, because every single day, Paul is writing this letter, and he's in prison, and where he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and he's going to be released, but he's using every single day he possibly can to buy back from the devil and redeem that time to use it. It says in Ephesians, make sure that you redeem the time because the days are evil, and that's where we're at. That's how you redeem the time, make better use of it. Next verse, please, is verse 6. Let your words always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you will know how you ought to reply to each person. Now, here's where we come with a go heavy on the salt thing. If you read the blurb on the email, salt, uh, I, guess, I guess appropriately, has got kind of a bad name in, in recent history because it leads to hardened arteries, arteriosclerosis, it leads to heart disease, it leads to this or that, and there's all this salt in your food, so you stay away from the salt. Nah, nah. Well, in our speech, we should be heavy on the salt. First of all, Paul says, let it always be with grace. Your, your speech should always be with grace. Grace is something that you get that you don't deserve, like the cop that pulls you over, you know, 100 miles an hour in the school zone. Uh, that's, you know, grace, you don't deserve, I don't let you off this time, but just don't run over any more fifth graders. Uh, you know, I, I'll, that's unmerited favor. You'd be all theological about it. Great. You don't deserve that. But how do you do that? You season your speech with salt so that you know how to reply to every person. Hit that next slide if you would. So, what about salt? Well, salt's a value, okay? In the old days, uh, Roman soldiers were even paid uh, their salary in salt, a portion of their salt ration. And that's why a soldier had to be worth his salt, that phrase, okay? It was a value because people used it to preserve food. They would salt down fish, you still do if you get Portuguese bacala, the salted cod, or and, uh, any other food, because there was no way to preserve food. And uh, as an aside, why was it not a big concern? Well, remember, in those generations, in those centuries, people were usually dead by age 35 anyway, so probably hard arteries weren't a big problem, because famine or plague was going to get you, or an incoming army. So they used salt to preserve their meat their food, and it was seasoned. Because to, to be honest, salt does kind of make things taste better at times. You put a little salt on there and it brings out that flavor, right? What is our speech supposed to be like? Those things, the seasoning with salt. So you know how to answer people. And that's different for different people. Some people like a little more salt. I don't put any salt in my cooking because I don't know how a guest might react, how they want it. Sometimes you have to be a little bit more kind. Sometimes you can be more blunt with people because that's their personality. They may need that. This goes with believers as well as unbelievers. Sometimes with an unbeliever, you've just, you know, if you know them well enough and you know like how the reaction's gonna be, you can be a little bit more direct. 
because you have no guarantee that the next day that comes to redeem will, will be there. There may not be another day. Other people need a little bit more grace and softness. And all that. That's how we season our speech. So as Mike comes up, I guess Mike's coming up to play a little something. Uh, let me just give you a few challenges, because this is the final verse, because I did the back half first. Just a few challenges for you, okay? First of all, if you don't know Jesus as personal Savior, this has little, if any, meaning to it, anything I've said today. Because you're separated from God. And the Bible uses the term sin that some people have come up with a stereotype. But all it means is we are separated from God because we've missed the mark. And God knew that. And he loves you and me. And that's why he sent Jesus, his perfect sinless son, to die on the cross, not to start a religion or, you know, make crosses a piece of jewelry or whatever. He did that to redeem, to buy back people from their sin. He died on the cross and then he rose again three days later to prove and demonstrate that he truly was God. That his shed blood, his sacrifice, was a sacrifice to pay for the sins of all mankind, all people, if you would just trust in him as Savior. So if you haven't done that, if you haven't made that decision, you need to do that today. Now, believers, I've said a lot today, but here's what I want you to get the most, you know, focus on this, the main points. We have a mission. That's why we're still left here. Otherwise, I can't see much of a reason we're still walking the face of this earth. We have a mission to reach others with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we need to be people of prayer to give us fuel to do that. However you do it, all day long, hour here, a little bit there, a little bit there, we need to start praying to fuel this. And when we speak to folks, let me give you a couple of challenges. Each day, are you redeeming that day? You're not going to get it back. And you may have 95 years a day is coming. You may have 39 years a day is coming. Are you redeeming that day? And are you letting your speech be seasoned with salt, always with grace, so you'll know how to reach every single person? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I would ask that um, you would take the words that I've said, that people wouldn't concentrate on me, but they would concentrate on you. That any here today, Lord Jesus, that uh, any person that doesn't know you as Savior, that they would think seriously about the claims of Jesus Christ on their life. Right now, in the quietness of their heart and mind, if, if they want to trust in Jesus as Savior or talk to one of the pastors, that'd be great. Lord, I would, I would pray for believers, pray for myself, that you would let my speech be seasoned with grace, that uh, always grace seasoned with salt, that I would redeem each day and use it well, knowing I'm get that day back. And most of all, that I won't forget, my mission is to reach others with the knowledge of Jesus as Savior, that message that I may spend eternity in heaven with you.
stand with them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.